You're listening to EcoSpeak CLE, where the eco-curious explore the unique and thriving environmental community here in Northeast Ohio. My name is Diane Pickett, and my producer is Greg Rotuno. Together, we bring you inspiring stories from local sustainability leaders and invite you to connect, learn, and live with our community and planet in mind. Hello, friends, and Happy New Year. Greg and I are excited to share this compilation of clips from EcoSpeak CLE to mark our two-year podcast anniversary. We're really proud of our work and proud of this community, and we hope this first episode of 2024 will help you find new ways to stay connected, stay positive, and stay active by hearing the voices of sustainability in Cleveland. So we've organized these clips loosely by topic, and first up are some organizations you can volunteer with and ones that will help you reduce your environmental footprint. Here we feature Eddie Olshansky with Trashfish Cleveland, Tristan Rader with Solar United Neighbors, Britta Latz with Medwish International, Tim Jasinski with Lights Out Cleveland, Stephen Love with Cleveland Plogs, Chelsea Shoren with The Hunger Network, Jacob Van Sickle with Bike Cleveland, Samia Bray with Black Environmental Leaders, and Jim Sheehan with Ohio City Bicycle Co-op. I want to bring as many Clevelanders down here. I want to make our river, our great natural resource that we have and great recreational resource we have down here as accessible to as many people as possible. And I kind of trick them into coming down here with a free kayak and then <laughs> they're stuck getting an amateur science lesson from me while we're out there. So yeah. sorry for talking y'all's ear off, but that's what we do around here. We're just here to help people access that and choose where the energy comes from essentially you know historically we've had to buy electricity from the grid um, and you get what you get you get whatever the grid's selling you whatever electricity generations out there now you can choose to buy power and buy solar panels and receive that free power straight off of your roof essentially you know, everyone can get involved with MedWish. Like their distance doesn't matter. You know, if, it, if you can't donate financially, come volunteer. You know, if you're, if you're far away and, you know, you can't be part of MedWish, you know, in a physical sense, you know, help us to spread the word. Uh, you know, maybe you make a birthday campaign on Facebook, you know, to help uh, to increase uh, you know, donations in that way. Uh, maybe you want to join us on a brigade, you know, come and do that. Uh, you know, or if you, if you work in a healthcare facility and you see supplies that are getting thrown away, you know, speak connect up. with yeah. us. Yeah. Speak yeah. up about it. So the number one really rule with, with wildlife rehabilitation is if you have an injured or sick or orphan animal, keep it in a warm, dark, quiet place until you can get to treatment for from a licensed rehabilitator. So the main thing we do down there downtown is I've taught the volunteers how to reduce stress on the birds. So we capture them with with butterfly nets, um, and then we place them in brown paper bags that are made with lights out Cleveland information that we collect down there um, about the bird and. Then we transfer them to the car or someone's car as soon as possible to let them rest because obviously went through a lot hitting the window. Global Shapers community started in 2011 and it was founded by the director or the founder of the World Economic Forum, Klaus Schwab. Um, he realized that there were just not enough young people at the table in these global conversations, workshops, trying to really unpack and figure out solutions that make sense for each community with these systemic global issues like climate change. So I think we might be the only official plogging group that's a cleanup group. All right. We, I, unless you, you find another one, Diane, you, 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 you tell me. <laughs> I just, I love it. 
What drives you to do this every single week? Well, if we weren't on a podcast and you could turn around and look at Lake Erie, mm-hmm. that's, that's the driver. Yeah. Um, the health, you know, the health of our great lake, the health of our community, the health of our environment. I mean, that, that's the driver. We take surplus usable but not sellable product from food-related businesses in the community. So this could be grocery stores. This could be farms. This could be produce distributors. This could be bakeries, restaurants, catering companies. You name it, right? If they're if they're producing food or have surplus food, um, and it's and it's in their facility in a safe manner, right? Um, we can accept that food for donation. And we send all of that food back out to organizations that are working with food insecure populations. There's other people, I should probably do this myself. So I started biking more and started seeing kind of the true benefits, but also started seeing some of the areas where improvements need to be made, which is kind of the impetus of starting Bike Cleveland. And, you know, if I had to nail it down, there's there's two things. One is education. So teaching people how to bike safely, teaching motorists how to navigate around bike safely. But also, too, is really just the design of our roadways. Bell started as an idea. Uh, You know, you get good people and good food together and you just come up with amazing things. And so we were invited to join what was called a green chat and chew. It was hosted by the Western Reserve Land Conservancy, the uh, National Wildlife Federation and the Alliance for the Great Lakes. In that conversation, it became very obvious that we had a lot of expertise at the table, people of color. But each one of us were having the similar experience, and that was that we found ourselves far too often the only person of color in the room. The time that you spend on a bike is probably the most impact that you could have on climate change by doing nothing except getting to work. Because the more people see people using bikes, because there's just um, a lot of resistance to that. You know, Cleveland is such a car town, and uh, it still is. And having that just once in a while seeing a bike it's like oh yeah people really do that thank you so much thanks next we have some clips from our waste reduction and recycling episodes featuring Alyssa yoder with ohio sierra club mike sandoval with evergreen recycling ren brumfield with cleveland recycles and nina savastano on the brooklyn cart tagging program Plastic Free July campaign, um, it's hosted by the Plastic Free Coalition, and they uh, began this campaign in 2011, and it's a pledge that millions of people all around the world, um, each year they take it during the month of July with the goal of reducing plastic waste uh, in their own life. So looking at Clyde, we'll have the bales come in. We have a a bail breaker, we singulate the bottles up front. So the first thing we do is we either drop the bale into a mezzo, which will just chew the bottle up, or we'll have somebody snap the wires, pull the wires, and then it goes into uh, a bail breaker, which singulates the bottles. It's really just basic recycling. It's going to be what it should have been the first time. But I, I think we, you know, what's going to be the biggest difference is there's going to be a lot more communication from the city to the residents about what's going on. There's because there is a recycling coordinator. There is a person in the city who is in charge of making this go smoothly. Mm-hmm. And, and because, you know, I'm talking to you because I've been where I've been because people see me and they know me now. It's important to me.
Mm-hmm. Yo, this is me. I want it to be just right. What was on the oops tag? So the tags had on the front, it was all the things that could have been wrong in the bin. So whatever we saw, we would check that it was wrong. We would circle or write specific items. And then on the back, it had everything that was recyclable. Some of our most popular episodes had to do with organic and regenerative agriculture. Here we feature Nathan Rutz with Till Soil, Denzel St. Clair with the Cuyahoga County Beekeepers Association, Emily Peck with Frayed Knot Farm, Patrick Kearns with Ohio City Farm, Jess Bokey with Rust Belt Fiber Shed, and Dan Brown with Rust Belt Riders. The deeper your soil is with organic matter, um, the more carbon's in it. And if and there's the bon- added benefit of you have better water infiltration, uh, you have better water holding, and you still have better porosity, so you have better airflow through the soil, which actually also increases the amount of nitrogen fixation that can happen in the soil, um, so you can fertilize less. Um, all sorts of it's a, a virtuous cycle. If we didn't have beekeepers, and this is important for everybody to know. If we did not have beekeepers, we would not have honeybees today. Hmm. So uh, a feral colony of bees does, just does not exist. It may exist for a short period of time, but by short period, I mean maybe a beekeeping season. But at the end of that season, at some point, it's going to succumb to the mite, and the mites, mites will kill every colony of bees in the entire uh, uh, state of Ohio. It's really delicate and beautiful and also, yeah, it's tough too. And I think that kind of in, in, embodies me where I, I think I'm ki- a kind person and um, can grow beautiful flowers. But also, like, it's really, really, really hard to be a farmer. You know, because of that history of the land, uh, we didn't have to, you know, go through an, you know, an expensive or extensive process to remediate the soil. It was... It was pretty good to go. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they brought out, and there was this amazing picture that was on the front cover of the Plain Dealer back in the day. And it was a team of uh, Amish horses. Clydesdales. With an iron, Amish, yeah, <laughs> Amish Clydesdales with an iron plow breaking the ground of the Ohio City farm. And they- you know, everything that is produced within that fiber shed is part of that product. And when we have such a, a regional approach, such a local approach to creating clothing, it's very similar to our local approach to creating food, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, we know the story of where that thing comes from. We're familiar with the farmers that are growing our food, right? The light of the climate crisis, um, those kinds of emissions, methane emissions, are about 80 times more potent on a 25-year time scale than the stuff that comes out of our tailpipe, right? And so if we're to avoid the very worst impacts of climate change, we need to immediately stop sending food to landfill, like full stop. Repurposing and reusing stuff is near and dear to our hearts, as are the people creating those opportunities. Next, we hear from Nicole McGee from Upcycle Part Shop, Jessica Davis from Rebuilders Exchange, Debbie Eastburn with Humble Design Cleveland, Matt Walters with Cuyahoga Recycles, and Kathleen Colin with Tasty Media Partners. 
But when when people are are thinking about transforming materials or seeing what's left over and and giving it new life, those are those are the people that we draw in. And I think many many artists are inherently resourceful because materials are all around us. And also you want to explore new materials without necessarily incurring cost. So this, this model is not by any sense unique. In fact, it's not even unique to creative people or artists. Our grandparents were resourceful in reusing mm -hmm. and their grandparents certainly were. So, you know, it's just sort of bringing it all together. We are creating like a possibility of wealth building. So we're creating places where people can make money or an economy and for Habitat, and there's a lot of there's a lot of great reuse stores that are nonprofits. However, it doesn't create an economy. And a lot, from my experience, what I've seen happen is that people need to be maybe um, mission driven to divert waste, but it doesn't really compensate the people who are moving the materials or incentivize them to make a living. We do what we call intentional design, uh, so. Our process is three days. Um, we go in on day one. We learn about the person. We spend about an hour to an hour and a half with the recipient. Uh, we get to hear their journey. We learn a little bit about them. It's the time we have to really connect with them. We take pictures. We take measurements. We find out what colors they like, what the kids are into, um, all of that good stuff. And then we come back to our giant warehouse and really, this is where the magic happens. People have not had the opportunity to learn how to perform simple repairs on their household items. It's just more convenient. So they, they, they feel like it's more convenient to dispose of the item and buy a new one if it's broken. Mm -hmm. um, whereas, you know, it, there can be some rel relatively simple repairs that they can do at home that, that saves them money and it keeps that item out of the landfill. So the idea behind the repair workshops is to pair somebody who has a broken item uh, with someone who has some repair know-how to teach them the skills they need to repair that stuff. I will always be writing about something. It's just, I mean, it's just what I do and who I am. And I think I'll always be selling on the secondary market because that is so interesting too. And I mean, I just like to imagine the lives these items have had before and make up stories about them. So, I mean, both suit me. So yeah, I'll just continue doing what I do. And my eBay store is at love, which means it's perfect love in French. Protecting our Great Lakes and our drinking water source, Lake Erie, is serious work. And here we feature Jill Bartolotta with Ohio Sea Grant, Aaron Huber-Rosen with Drink Local Drink Tap, Alex Margavages with Cleveland Water, Max Herzog with Cleveland Water Alliance. What is a risk plastic pollution poses to wildlife in the Great Lakes? Exposure to toxic chemicals when ingested, loss of nutrition from ingestion instead of a natural food source, entanglement, or all of the above? It's all of the above. Yes. Whenever they give you all of the above, it's always all of the above. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> The curriculum specifically is about exploring your eco and water footprint. Um, we've heard a lot about our climate footprint and things like that, but no one really is talking about the water footprint. So we cover that. We cover water equity issues. So this is the human right to water. Mm -hmm. And both locally and globally, we have a huge crisis on our hands. Uh, Two million people in the United States don't have access to their tap water. Mm -hmm. And globally, 2.1 billion people don't have access to clean water. So this is a huge problem problem that we're focusing on locally and globally. Every five feet down 
we measure temperature uh, and dissolved oxygen level to give us a sense three-dimensionally of what's going on in Lake Erie um, with the oxygen levels so that we have some advanced warning of what maybe to expect. Is this going to be a difficult summer or an easier one to worry about? Since then, um, for about two years now, we have added two more buoys, um, one at the um, near the Nottingham plant in Collinwood and the other near our Crown plant near Westlake, such that all four of our intakes now have a water quality buoy near them. We want to unlock the potential of the Smart Lake to serve a whole wide range of stakeholders. And that could be folks trying to use the data to advocate for um, increased investment in conservation, changes in legislation. It could be folks that are interested in just knowing, um, you know, what's the quality of water at my beach right now, or what's the wave height out on the lake where I'm thinking about going to recreate. Um, and one of the things that we are really focused on is trying to unlock the potential of the data for folks in research, as well as folks in sort of the entrepreneurial innovation space. Next, we hear from those green entrepreneurs that are demonstrating that people, planet, and profit can go hand in hand. Featuring Rachel Regula with Little Spark Refill Shop, Pat Conway with Great Lakes Brewing Company, Alec McLennan with Good Natured Organic Lawn Care, Aaron Jacobson with Fan Clothing, and Joe Rohan and Jing Lyon with Bright Energy Innovators. In the middle of COVID, I was like, do we have a refill shop yet? Like it kind of like lost my mind and came back. And we did it. And I was at a point, which I think a lot of people were, where they're like, what makes me happy? We're stuck in our houses. Like we have a lot of thinking to do during shutdown. And I was like, I don't want to live this life anymore. I want to open a refill shop. That's what makes me happy. And I'm still fulfilling my goal of like making a difference in someone's life. I said, well, maybe this is a great spot for an urban farm. And so we collaborated. Uh, and that's the, the, the good word on that whole project was collaboration mm -hmm. between us and Ohio City, Inc. and the guys who were doing the refugee response mm -hmm. uh, stuff. And we didn't know it at the time, but I guess it was the largest urban farm in the country. Our approach is mostly focused on how can we improve the health of the things that we want to encourage. So grass is a pretty aggressive plant. If you can give it the right conditions, mow it correctly, um, you know, feed it, feed the soil so you have a nice healthy soil for it to grow in. Um, if you can give it what it likes, then it will kind of crowd out a good amount of other plants. We're only working with uh, materials that aren't going to um, have environmental uh, consequences or, or burden my grandchildren after um, after we're done making and selling those clothes. Mm -hmm. So that means um, not working with polyester um, and finding ways to uh, recycle and reuse uh, scraps from our production process rather than throwing that in the garbage. There's two sides of the equation. There's a sustainability side, but there's also just job creation, new businesses in Ohio, mm -hmm. utilizing space for sustainable energy products instead of, you know, kind of getting rid of the old Rust Belt mentality and replacing it with sustainable industries. 
Having an anchor in Voltage Valley and with all of the partnerships and other organizations in the area from Foxconn to Ultium to Lordstown Motors is great, but it's, it's bringing energy technologies from Voltage Valley to the rest of the state and to the rest of the globe. And finally, why we all care about sustainability, protecting, learning, and getting out in nature, featuring Jefferson Jones with Organic Connects, Amy Roskilly with Cuyahoga Soil and Water Conservation District, Carol Thaler and Trisha Brown with Great Lakes Biomimicry, Marcy Leininger with the Ohio Pollinator Habitat Initiative, Deb Yandala with Conservancy for Cuyahoga Valley National Park, and Samira Malone with the Cleveland Tree Coalition. You can bring people together, even if they may not like each other or have biases or prejudices against one another, that if you bring them into the outdoors, they will bond. Mm -hmm. they, they will bond over a, a kayak. They will bond over a bow and arrow. They will bond over, you know, making a fire or foraging, whatever it may be. So our goal is to make the world a better place. You know, talking about building habitat is, not just doing the milkweed. Milkweed's great, fine, wonderful, yeah. please plant it. Um, yes. But having that campaign of, you know, when, when I was on the podcast last time, drinking your lawn, putting in that native habitat, mm -hmm. because all of our pollinators, monarchs included, need food all year, all season long. So they need things that are blooming from early spring into late fall. Biomimicry is innovation inspired by nature. So a lot of times we look at how to invent something new, you jump right to the engineering, and you miss a whole, um, a whole world of answers that are around us in nature. Okay. And Tricia, how would you describe biomimicry? Really the same way. It, it, it's a process. It's a different way of looking at something. And so we have found through the professional education, the things that we've done with companies, that once they understand what biomimicry is and can do. They, there's really no going back. It can't be just about monarchs. Mm -hmm. The monarch is what got us here. Mm -hmm. the, but the monarch, if you look at it as sort of like a guardian angel of other pollinators and wildlife, what a, what a great um, opportunity yeah. we have to have such a charismatic, beautiful species that needs our help so desperately. Mm -hmm. And we can do good things for monarchs. And by doing good things for monarchs, we're helping other species that live under the same house. It's beautiful property. We're retaining acreage right on the river so that we can move a little faster than the park can in terms of getting some resources there for the public. Um, it's it, And it's park building in some ways where, mm -hmm. you know, we're trying to bring in voices who maybe historically haven't been engaged in park building and park design. And it, it's really quite an exciting thing. Um, and I'll say the other thing I really feel good about this with, with the work that the community did to protect this land is this is key habitat that really connects the park east and west. Humans and the native ecosystem in nature should not be divorced from one another. So when they are, we get to see some of these disproportionate impacts that we've seen throughout the decades. And so one of the things that's really exciting about this work is that not only are we able to increase tree canopy for the benefits that it brings the environment, but it really is an act of, of healing and restoration, both for people, place and the environment. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of EcoSpeak CLE. You can find our full catalog of episodes on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes are available the first and third Tuesday of each month. 
please follow EcoSpeak CLE on Facebook and Instagram and become part of the conversation. If you would like to send us feedback and suggestions, or if you'd like to become a sponsor of EcoSpeak CLE, you can email us at hello at ecospeakcle.com. Stay tuned for more important and inspiring stories to come.